everyone, it's me, Sean Capri. I'm in a different octave this week, and I'm in my car, and you're listening to the most horsepowerful podcast on the internet. It's the Xbox Drive. I'm in my car, and I'm on a Skype call with my friend Ryan Turford, the man on the moose. And this week, we're on a journey, everybody. It's minus 30 degrees. It's the Arctic tundra, and we're going to talk about E3 is in crisis and take a ton of listener questions. So, Ryan... Jump on in, turn that dial in to the Xbox Drive. Ball! Greater than X. Hello, different octave, Sean. That was weird. It just kind of like jumped up, man. I guess I haven't been sick in a little while. I'm excited to be here. All the things culminating to a a slightly different intro, but uh, hopefully that was okay for you, Ryan Turford. I, I thought it was more just along the lines of, oh my God, driving home is like a death trap because it's free, <laughs> it's hot levels of cold in Edmonton. That's okay. So, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to take a nap in a tauntaun on my way home. Oh, I'm going to grab excellent. a coffee and then I'm going to go take a nap in a tauntaun. <laughs> I don't know if you want, you just make sure to bring like uh, some, some nose, uh, nose pliers so you know you can just not have to smell it. Oh, right, right. Yeah. They, they, they smell bad on the outside. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the whole thing. That's the Star mm-hmm. Wars thing. You can. Can it, you hear my like ski jacket jacket that I'm wearing right now? I'm all bundled up, man. I'm really self conscious about it. Actually, I ha- didn't even notice you were wearing a ski jacket. One, because I can't he- see you. But okay. Number two, I can't hear it. Yeah, it's so. huge. It's very bulky and everything. I'm I'm feeling anyway. I don't look cool right now. I've got a I've got a Backstreet Boys headset driving my car. <laughs> I got to grab a warm drink if that's cool. So you can kick off the show. D- does this mean you're like you're wearing the Gore-Tex like? Hi there. Can I get a large coffee with two Splenda? Yes, sir. That is all. You're you're definitely pulling the George Costanza. I can tell. You, that's your I, thing. That's exactly what it is. it's red too. That's exact. That's a great picture. <laughs> oh for my people. god! It's, it's totally. Oh, perfect. I didn't know that. <laughs> totally have a George Costanza jacket. Way to go, Sean. <laughs> Thank you, right? Yep. Oh, good Way times. to live out my, my Seinfeld dreams. Of I course, enjoy- this is the Xbox Drive. Where we right. talk about things and stuff. Uh, of course, you can listen to us each week on your podcast service of it. choice. Uh, we're going to clean the garage Thank real you. quick because we got some things to talk about real quick. Number one, apologies for the roundabout being really late this week. Um, as I mentioned on Twitter, if you guys caught that on the Xbox Drive on Twitter, um, I was really sick. So I had to basically delay when I recorded it. It's up now, though. So basically, it went up at the same time as this podcast. So you should be able to listen to it on the feed. It's a really good episode about Shadow Complex. So if you like Shadow Complex or Xbox 360 games, check it out and let me know what you think. Also, Sean, last week you did a extra mile with Mr. Badbit called Console Wars. Yes. Where y'all talked all about the, the PlayStation and the Xboxes. It was very exciting. Dude, so awesome. It was so impromptu, but also something that, like, Joseph and I, Mr. Badbit, uh, he's, of course, the, uh, he's a PlayStation guy. He's a Sony pony, of course. So um, what does he know about Xbox? Just kidding. We, I think we had a great conversation about just where our various consoles stand right now. And, and some astute listeners caught the title of the episode was Console Wars Part 1. Joe and I plan on doing this uh, at various points throughout the the unveiling of the, of our consoles this year, man. 2020 is a big year, so it's something we've always wanted to do. We weren't really ever sure how we were going to roll it out. We don't want to like have to commit to a, another podcast, but the extra mile I think allows for a really great conversation. Um, just seeing how PS5 is going to roll out and and Series X and everything and all the lead up to it. So we got a bit of a we had a catch up with everything that's got us up to this point so far. And then yeah, the the news of uh, exclusivity and the cross gen nature of the first year of games on on Series X prompted a bit of a, a, a chat with us. So it was really good, man. I was really happy to have him on. 
Yeah, it was super interesting timing and, and definitely uh, made a lot of sense to do it then. Of course, we received some awesome feedback about that episode as well. So uh, from K-L-D-G-I-S-P-W-R, I don't know how to pronounce that. I was so wondering I how you're going to tackle that. I'm, I'm proud of you. Yeah, on Twitter, of course, uh, says your last show with the PlayStation podcaster. That That's Bobby, by the way. Uh, Bob, Joseph. Know. Joseph. I don't know why I confuse him with Bobby. My brain is not working today. Was amazing. Keep up the good work. Thanks, that's what man. Thanks. And you wasn't the only one, so I just really appreciate all that, all that stuff. I think we had a, a very mature conversation about, not. it wasn't, it's called Console Wars, but very facetiously. Like, I think we, we both uh, own all the consoles, we all play all the games, and I think we had a, a nice chat. So I'm looking forward to doing that again with uh, Mr. Badbit. Sounds like a plan. So, Sean... We're going to grab our 8-tracks. we got to hop, hop into this show proper. It's time for the playlist. Sean, what have you been playing? I've been playing Void Bastards, dude. I've been kind of like cleaning up some games that I didn't really get a chance to get to. And, and Void Bastards is one that came onto the scene through Game Pass um, in 2019. And I remember trying it for an hour or two before, but it didn't really like cling on. Um, and I just didn't really get it at first. I even remember talking about it on the show. I'm like, I didn't really understand what the heck I was supposed to be getting at. But... Um, it essentially is a first-person shooter with kind of like roguelike elements. Um, the only thing that the developers talk about is that you don't ever have to do like the first level again. So you're going from like space station to space station, collecting parts, firing and killing off these really weird and creepy um, uh, enemies and everything, and collecting parts along the way so that you can build up more uh, better uh, armor and, and guns and things like that to just this advance. So it's a pretty typical from that standpoint. It's a pretty typical roguelike um but i it is i i got the i got the bug man i got kind of addicted to it like i just want to do one more level they're very like the the levels are bite-sized there's a couple rooms there's uh some familiar elements so you can become i think kind of masterful at it pretty quickly but if you die your character who is loaded with a generally like a perk and a like a buff and um what's the opposite of a buff <laughs> A debuff? A de- is it really a debuff? Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. So you have like these random attributes assigned to your character. Uh, some t- some guys will like run really fast or jump really fast or be um, resistant to a certain type of attack or things like that. Or others okay. will be will get dizzy. Or one of my guys got confused and would randomly pick the wrong ship uh, to go to next. You kind of have your path as kind of like a almost like a Star Fox type of thing. Uh, space oh, so map. it would just pick randomly for you? Yeah, like you'd p- pick one direction. I think you know, one in every four times he would go the opposite direction. So oh, you gosh. have these really weird and wacky um, perks, uh, attributes of the game. And um, yeah, it just kind of like throws it all into into a weird mix. I just don't know where I'm going with it, Ryan. I don't know if I want to complete this game. The randomness is fun. And I felt this way mm. about um, a few roguelites in, the, in 2019 that I played as well. Black Paradox comes to mind where like, the the randomness is hilarious and it's fun and it's always exciting but i have no idea like how i'm progressing you mm. know what i mean so i just i don't know if i'm going to continue with it but i i've had a lot of fun with it it's perfect for game pass but void bastards is just a little odd duck that maybe i'm i, I don't know i don't know what to think of it other than to say i've had a tremendous amount of fun with it and it's weird and wacky and i think people should try because it it's on game pass yeah, and I mean, if for nothing else, but the the random stuff you can see with the game is it seems really interesting, and the randomness really can only take you so far. Like like you're sort of alluding to, um, there has to be kind of a, a carrot on the end of the stick, o- almost like a game, almost like uh, Dead Cells. I think is a really good example of that, which is a rogue like that. 
always constantly gives you that that carrot on the end of the stick. It really motivates you to get farther and farther because you're exploring more and more of this area. Um, and it's a game that is m- fusing like Metroidvania uh, elements with uh, roguelikes and really encouraging that exploration mm-hmm. um, in a way that most roguelikes don't. Um, and that's kind of what I'm wor- a little bit worried about from the way you talked about Void Bastards. But I'm still interested to, to try this out because it sounds really interesting, at least even if you don't finish the whole game. Um, it still seems like there's still some fun to be had with it. I just don't even know what the end is going to be, to be honest with you. The fact that like my character kind of just goes off and is somebody else's, it really doesn't impact the game too much, really. Um, and, and dying actually doesn't seem to have a tremendous amount of impact overall. And maybe that's the thing that just keeps me from really sticking into this game, is it? Oh, okay. it all just seems very temporary like i don't really feel attached Mm -hmm. to anything um but it's very weird it's very strange and and the like as i'm collecting all these different parts uh and the the inventory management is all very interesting building new weapons and upgrading the weapons very rewarding and that's what that's what caught me that's why i'm kind of like i was a little addicted i just don't know like to what end i guess and it seems very arcadian that maybe the end doesn't really matter in which case i've enjoyed my journey with it so far it's all about the friends you made along the way. It is, that's, yeah. That's what it's all about. You're right. Very nice. Yeah, what about all you, right. man? As for me, I, as I mentioned before, I was really sick this week, so I didn't play too much. So I wanted basically the video game equivalent of comfort food. So I decided to take a trip back to 1997 and play Final Fantasy VII on Did my really? Xbox One. Yeah, I played it for, I, I sunk over 20 hours into it this week. I played it a lot. You so pl- wait, you played on Xbox One? Yeah, the 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 re-release that they did a couple years ago. Oh, right, right, right. When we thought it was going to be the remake, and then oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, like it's the you. it's the port of the PC version. What's cool about this version of the game is you could do a f- uh, fast forward. So if during like some of the really grindy stuff, or there's certain sections of the games where you have to climb like a really long ladder or run a really far distance without enemies, you can turn that on and it goes zooms by super quick. Um, but other than that, I'm just having a, a fun time basically revisiting a classic game that I just haven't replayed in 10 years. I've finished Final Fantasy VII over 20 times, yeah. but I haven't revisited it since like before 2009. So <laughs> it was really <laughs> cool to go back and finally play it again. Plus, it's got achievements now. So that's the ultimate motivator to get me to play a game, obviously. Um, but honestly, it just... It, it it feels almost like coming home to yeah. to, uh, to when playing Final Fantasy VII, and uh, it was a good game to kind of uh, tied the tied me over until Dragon Ball Z Kakarot comes out on Friday because nice. I'm super hyped for that game. Oh, I uh, love I've, it! I've been watching some live streams of it today, and I it looks like the real deal. Really, so I'm super excited uh, to play it this week. I'm excited like for the, you too. Like it's going to be a, an action RPG in the Dragon Ball universe. Like, sign me up. I'm ready for that game. It's, it's funny be because good. it doesn't seem like we've really known too much about uh, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot uh, very much at all. Now, Ryan, that version of Final Fantasy VII, that's coming to Game Pass pretty soon, I think, right? That's one of the... It is. Like, all Over of the when summer. they named all those games. Yeah, so that's number one. Number two question that I have for you is, like, are you doing this in a way also to kind of prepare for Remake that's coming out eventually? Kind of, but yeah. actually, um, the bigger motivator was actually just... I listened to a ton of Final Fantasy music on Spotify at work or on my way to work every day. And uh, I was listening to the soundtrack to Final Fantasy VII the other day. I was like, you know, I should probably go back and just play that game. Nice. So that that was more the motivator than less the remake. Um, Funny you bring up the remake because, of course, it was delayed this week till April. Right. um, Which kind of throws off my prediction from last week's show, from our predictions episode. Um, I still think that game's coming to Xbox next April. 
it's still happening. Well, I'm very confident that it's coming. I'm sorry that so, you already had to wash away one of your predictions, but Ryan, one of my predictions is already correct. Sort of. So, well, we did say six. So I said, for, for those just jumping in for the very first time, last week we did our 2020 predictions um, for the world of Xbox, and I had predicted that um, they would announce cross-gen play for the first six months, Yeah, basically, that, that the same disc of Halo Infinite would work in an Xbox Series X as it would um, with Xbox One. And that, that part of it is 110% correct. Yeah. In fact, for the first year, yeah. it's going to be like that. Uh, they announced today, of course, there was articles all over the place about it. News about this broke out, uh, broke out. Of course, a lot of incorrect information got out there. Agreed. If you read the quote from Matt Booty, of course, who, who was the one who was interviewed and stated this, um, it's that it's only first party Xbox Game Studios titles. Right. That this is going to affect. So, for example... If, take an example of Watch Dogs Legion, which we've heard is coming to next gen, because that's what, one of the reasons it was delayed. There is a possibility that there will you will have to either buy an Xbox version or an Xbox One version of that. Game. Right. Like you might have to choose between the two. I'm using that as an example. We don't know. No, but, that's a, that is a great example, I think, too, because the the question that I mean, I don't even want to spend too much time on it because it's just absolute nonsense. But like the the question of like why why should I buy the next generation of console? Then it's like well. You don't have to, but the point of the watchdogs or whatever, like third party stuff, like yeah. that is going to be your only option. So just, I was like, going to say third parties <laughs> are going to take advantage of it, and it, that is going to be the reason. Of right course, there. and yeah, all the talk on Twitter. I don't want to delve into it. It yeah. was it was a nightmare to look at, and we don't want to bring up any negativity here. Honestly, I think this is a great move for Microsoft, though. And of course, this leads us beautifully into a question from Todd Oxtra at Toxtra on Twitter. He asks. With games planned to come to all Xbox One systems alongside Series X and PC, should resolution and frame rate be detailed in each version, similar to PC having a minimum and recommended specs, maybe they should provide something to inform the customers. Absolutely, I think this is something you're going to see. I think on the back of the box where it has all the little checkpoints as to the features for the game, this is going to be something that's going to be listed under. It'll be like, works on... The this platform, this platform, and this platform. Right. Whether it's Xbox One, Xbox, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, like it'll probably be listed on the back of the box or in the description on the Microsoft Store. Um, I as far as resolution and frame rate, I don't know how much of that stuff will be detailed. Only because sometimes a lot of that stuff just comes down to even uh, small things like updates to the game totally. can really affect that and and make either the load times increased or decrease or resolution. Probably won't change. It's probably the one thing that's probably going to stay consistent. Uh, but other features like uh, frame rate, for example, might uh, go up or down depending on um, updates yeah. to the game. And, and it might not even be able to be determined before the game comes out. So I think that something like that is a little bit harder to do. But I definitely think they're going to have some kind of postage somewhere that's going to tell you how, at least give you some idea of what's going to work with what What works with what yeah most definitely it's a slippery slope man because at what point do you go this resolution at this rate frame rate like how much detail do you really want and I, I can only imagine just like the excel spreadsheets that would appear on the back of the boxes and, and things like that this is really just this is kind of what console gamers have been kind of avoiding the entire time that's why most people i think chose console gaming is because like you don't want to get into the details you just want to like pop the thing in and play it but it's unavoidable now like we've entered the, the like the singularity is happening where uh, pc and consoles are becoming ever closer 
And um, this is a reality. We're just going to have to be a little bit more aware of like how particular games are going to be playing on particular platform configurations, which manifests in the way of, of new consoles. So it's just going to be, we're just going to have to be aware. And actually, if nothing else, it puts, uh, you're going to just have to pay attention to your favorite Xbox podcast being recorded in a car in minus 30 degree weather in the tundra oh, of, of North Canada, for sure. That's, it. that's a good plug, Sean. Yeah, that's, that's us. Plug. That's us, by the way. That's the Xbox That's who drive. we are. Right. Oh, my God. All right. So seeing as though we're kind of in that territory already, let's let some people into the carpool. We got, first of all, shout out to all y'all over on Twitter who submitted your questions this week. We had a lot of really awesome questions Killing this it. week. So I wanted to say thank you all for, for continuing to provide amazing questions for us to answer. Um, however, this next question is actually a question from last week that I wanted. I, I promised last week on the show, since we didn't have enough information, um, obviously I wanted to dive back into it. So again, uh, as a reminder, this question is from Joel, a.k.a. Falcon, at Joel, a.k.a. Falcon on Twitter. He asks, do you think the new Halo 5 playlist, Mythic, is te- the testing ground for Halo Infinite? Now, Sean, I know you didn't get a chance to try this. No. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to try it either. When I, To be fair, though, I tried to, but I could not find <laughs> oh, a game. Oh, really? I, could, I basically sat in queue for over half an hour. Twice, oh wow! And could not find a find a game, unfortunately. Um, but I will quickly run down uh, what I read about it because um, obviously I, I wouldn't be doing y'all a service if I didn't at least look into this a little bit. Um, this is of course p- being pulled from the Halo Waypoint uh, website, uh, going over this information. Basically, basically, Mythic Arena is the the mode that he was referring to, um, where basically it was a playlist of a bu- of five different maps across Assault, Capture the Flag, King of the Hill, Oddball, and Slayer. But what they decided to do was change the movement of your your Spartan in multiplayer in a couple of different ways. So what they did is they uh, increased the base movement speed, strafe acceleration, and jump height. They also limited the powers you could use to just thrust and stabilize. So basically, it would make the game, the, the movement, a lot, a little bit quicker. Yeah. Almost. At least that's so what it sounded hit. like. Exactly. So that's that's really the only real changes I'm noticing here. They 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 tooled around a little bit with some of the 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 weapon tilers and melee um, attributes, but I think that was just for this mode. I don't know if that's a testing ground, but the the movement stuff, I would agree with Joel, and this is probably why he submitted this question. Um, I think that is probably the testing ground for some of the movement stuff that we might see in Infinite. Like maybe just making it a little bit of a faster paced game. Um, that might just be just for multiplayer and maybe not translate into single player. Right. We don't know yet, but I definitely think it might be uh, signs of things to come. It's probably too late, actually, now that I think about it in the dev cycle for Infinite to maybe be doing too much testing with this information sounds like, like tweaks maybe. though it sounds like just barely just a little bit of tweaks and and just you kind of running down that kind of stuff it makes me realize we've got to be pretty uh we've got to be due for a for a beta even like you wonder if they if they can do a beta prior to the launch of the series x where we know it's going to be cross-gen this might be yet another benefit to the cross-gen part where we can actually play the game on our current console we could buy a day one when it launches oh my god ryan that would be amazing the, the crazy thing, of course, is going to be that that the community for this game is going to be huge because it's going to be across two platforms. I know. Three. That's always one of the challenges. You're right. Because, yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges with launch titles in general. For those who maybe don't necessarily remember the last console launch, uh, multiplayer games are always have extremely small communities because a lot of times there's only a million or two new consoles in right. the wild remember Titanfall? at launch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like the 360 version of that, it was easier to find a game. Which is crazy to think about. So, 
yeah, I, I think that the, it's totally a, an amazing move on Microsoft's part. And yeah, I think that some of these changes are probably alluding to some changes coming in the in the next game. And yeah, I, I definitely think they should do a beta. I I wouldn't be surprised if we get an announcement about that uh, Ooh, sometime soon. Yeah, let's actually. go. Yeah, maybe at E3. Um, also, if you wanted to read about this information that where I pulled it from, I put the source in the the show notes in case you're interested in reading more about this. Uh, but let's move on. Okay. Edward Varnell at the Retro Code asks, "What would make Game Pass fail in the future?" A rising price or refusal of certain games slash third party support for the service. Um, Sean, what do you think about this? There's no stopping it. The uh, the hype fire is lit and it is it is unstoppable, man. I don't know. I, I think um, it, it it's about the games. The thing that is really driving it right now is that people see games that they care about and that they, that matter, and um, that's driving success. So if that sort of dries up, then I think that that would that would kind of go part and parcel with the failure of of the service. And part of that I think would come from if people stop subscribing or if, or if developers aren't getting kind of what they need to get out of Game Pass, which it sounds like they are getting what they need to get out of Game Pass. But if they stop, then the games will go away and the, the people will stop buying Game Pass. And I think it kind of just suffocates from there. I don't know if it's yeah. any more or less than that, but it's, it's Game Pass about the games. I, I don't know if that's too surprising. Yeah, obviously. And I mean, yeah, it all hinges on what that library is because people are paying for that library. And and that's how the the, the consumer perceives value in the service mm-hmm. is what games come to the service. And likewise, for third parties support, I mean, as long as they're seeing some kind of value come from that, which we've heard some anecdotal evidence that actually it somehow increases sales for games rather than decreases, which you would think that maybe it's pulling sa- uh, uh, sales away from third parties. Right. But it actually sounds like it's doing the opposite, where it's it's exposing people to more games, and as the games get maybe re- close to being removed the, from the service, or the, the idea uh, being out there that they might be removed at a later date, plus the discount that you get on top of it for the game being on Game Pass, That's a thing. I think actually convinces a lot of people to maybe pick up some of those games. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Why um, those ga- like developers see value in having their game on Game Pass. Plus, uh, developers, we don't know how the logistics of this work exactly, but I would imagine they receive some kind of uh, upfront set uh, like dollar amount for the game coming to Game Pass as well. So they do get something out of it that way as well. Right, which leads me to think about like competition-wise, if Sony or Steam or some other provider or platform or storefront is able to give a better deal, then individually I think Game Pass could fail in that way. Like if Amazon comes out and they, they come out with something crazy or if Stadia comes out and they do something crazy, which lures support away from Game Pass, then in the same way um, support would kind of dry up. So it's not like what Microsoft is doing necessarily. It's nothing really proprietary to it. Like it's very, it's something anybody could copy. You and I could do this, Ryan. We could. We could. We could do this. We we could just pull a whole bunch of our own games in in, in, a, in a pile together, right? And then offer them to people. Exactly. Be great. <laughs> Come pick them up. Come borrow them. I know, Five dollars a month. You really can borrow uh, Tales of Zestaria as many times as you want. I think we're just becoming a library. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I've got my my library of Xbox and Xbox 360 games, and then you've got your your Xbox One games. I literally have a library that I get I get some of my games from, but that's besides the point. That's true. Edward Varnell, I thank you for the question, but I hope um, you know hope not everything is so catastrophic and uh, end of the world uh, for you, man. <laughs> I don't know if there's well, any indications going away, I, but I think there was a little bit of worry when Game Pass first launched for sure that it might that it might fail. Because we, we saw what happened with PlayStation Now and other services like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the beginning, there was probably some worry. But at this point, 
I don't know how they how they screwed up at this point, especially yeah. with Microsoft first party studios games coming. Like maybe that might be something that might take some uh, appeal away from Game Pass if if some of those games don't come to the service. Right. But even then, it's like I would find it hard pressed at this point that people would shy away from Game Pass, especially since it's tied into gold as well. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay for gold anyways. So at that point, it's almost a no brainer to get Game Pass. And and who knows? You're probably going to be paying for your uh, next console alongside that as well with um, all access. It's all tied <laughs> that, together, man. We can't escape it. That's what I'm saying. It's too late. That's true. You're in the system now. You're you can't in it. escape. Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, we got a question from Jace at Backeridge on Twitter. He asks, 120 FPS. That's it. That's the question. <laughs> okay. That's not a question. I d- um, true, I guess. Sure. Thanks, Jace. It's a thing. Yep. Trolling it. <laughs> I don't understand. He trolls me so everywhere I go, so he's, he's made it onto the onto the show. So thanks, Jace. He's officially made it. Yeah. Officially. Uh, next question from KingKO007 on Discord. They ask, what are your thoughts on disintegration, and do you think it's going to perform well? Uh, Sean, I know nothing about disintegration. I just saw this question for the first time. Uh, do you know anything about this game? Disintegration is a first-person shooter game made by one of the members who was uh, on Bungie when Halo was first created. Um, and I think I, I know very little about it uh, other than other than that. And it has me very, very interested in, in much the same way of like Bioshocks and things like that where you start to see, or even like the Respawn is a good example of, of teams kind of like breaking off and breaking apart and then going to do something kind of similar um i have my eye on it but i can't really say it'd be pure speculation i just i am hopeful for sure because i just want i want more coming out of that that brain trust that early um, bungee brain trust for sure yeah i mean that that actually gets me kind of excited actually because again i don't know too much about this game and, and knowing uh some some of the the people who worked on on uh bungee games i don't know if halo specifically or not or, or working on this game yeah, that gets me excited gets me excited for a game um and yeah like i always love to, to hear stories about games uh from other developers that kind of spin off and do their own thing um fulbright is probably the best example i would give for this like a lot of like a lot of people who used to work at uh used to work on bioshock that's what i was thinking of. you're right home yeah because they worked Tacoma. on the nervous den you're right yeah yeah totally exactly so it's cool to see stories like this for sure all right and last question uh before we move on to move into cruise control Donnie Reese from the State of the Empire podcast at Play Nintendo on Twitter. It's weird that those go along with each other, but just go with it. (laughs) Can Xbox and Nintendo and others carry E3 without PlayStation for years to come? And do you think consumers care to see their favorite brands represented at E3? Of course, this kind of slides us in to our cruise control okay, topic this week, it. which, of course, the other big news that happened this week, of course, um, is that, of course, Sony pulled out of E3. We're not talking about Sony here, though. Yeah. Because Phil Spencer mentioned, of course, that they Microsoft will be attending E3, and they plan on going all out at mm-hmm. E3 this year with the, with the new console coming. Um, so what does the future of E3 look like? Well, the weird thing when you think about it is that Microsoft is at E3, but they're not. They're kind of like the reverse of Nintendo. I guess, yeah, they're the Microsoft Theater. They they are not. They are. They have a traditional E3 press conference, right? But they're offsite, yeah. like down the street. So it's just it's weird to think about because they 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 whereas Nintendo is on the show floor, right? But they don't have a physical press conference in person. So they've all been dismantling E3 in their own individual ways for sure. But can can they stand without without the Sony's? I hope that they can. My worry is that. Does it now seem like Microsoft is kind of cling to a relic of the past? 
I kind of want to discuss that to you, Ryan. Like, does it already seem like E3 is a is a, a thing of the past, and forward-thinking um, companies like Nintendo don't do their their live press conference? But I guess you're balancing me out a little bit by reminding me that they are there. I was just gonna say they can. I think the two of them can can carry E3 as a show if they if they want to go down that road. I think really it's gonna depend on how this year's E3 plan pans out what Microsoft does for the future, because it, definitely if there's a dip in attendance this year, or there's, if there's not as much pref, uh, press coverage, maybe it, it won't be worth them, worth it from the dollars and cents perspective as a business to maybe attend E3 mm-hmm. next year or going forward. I think, I think it's a lot's going to hinge on, on this year's E3 as to whether or not E3 has a future. Personally, I feel that we we've hit the the day and age where something like t- the traditional E3, the E3 of like let's say 2009, doesn't need to necessarily exist in this day and age. Um, being a press on- uh, only event that has all the games at it at a specific point in the year, um, because I think uh, companies are just better off, uh, like uh, feel more comfortable anyways. At least th- the larger companies doling those out at their own little preview events throughout the year. Yeah. That being said, I do think there's some merit in number one, smaller games intended right. E3, and then having people see their games that way. Um, but also pre- appealing to smaller outlets because not, for example, influencers, the smaller influencers, for example, like us, if we were to call us influencers, that is, um, would find it tougher to go to like 20 or 30 events in the year to, to go do previews for stuff. I mean, some of the bi- the bigger sites or the, the bigger YouTubers and Twitch streamers don't necessarily have that problem. Um, so I think the only people that helps hurts on the press side or even on the, the game's development side, if E3 doesn't exist, are smaller developers mm-hmm. or smaller, smaller outlets. Um, so really, that's a lot of that really is sort of the benefit of E3. But as a concept, no, I don't necessarily think it, it needs to be a thing. Um, it, it's something though that I've always wanted to go, th- go to E3. I mean, that's been the dream for me for forever because I've never, I've still never been to E3 at, at this time. And, but to go to E3 now is probably very different than going to E3, like even three years ago, because it is a consumer show. Now it is moving to be more like a PAX or uh, a Gamescom or a Tokyo game show or that kind of thing where it's less about press stuff and more about standing in lines and playing game games, super early well then what is it what is it about e3 then that like like you brought up gamescom and i want to tackle that for a second because like why is that a thriving event it's enormous everybody recognizes it as being like like it dwarfs e3 and like why why do we like it's not like we don't like i think i think the so i actually think the difference between uh and actually you see this with tokyo game show as well because tokyo game show if you've never been is huge right a ton of people go to tokyo game show as well people light up for days to go to that show um, I think the bigger difference is that you see um, less of those company, less of the bigger companies coming to smaller uh, co- conventions in those regions, um, in, especially in Europe in particular. Because whereas at Gamescom, you know everyone's going to be there, uh, like all the big companies are going to be there showing off their games usually. Um, so that's why you see more of that uh, fan support coming out. But yeah, I mean, if E three were to go in the direction of let's say Gamescom and be like totally go in that that direction of just being mostly consumer focused. I actually think it would probably help, and and maybe even give it more merit 
Yeah, sure. you think that they would have made that switch maybe a little while ago, but man, it's just it's like these it's these shows are great. And the thing that I you kind of talked about like the smaller outlets being like news outlets and things like that, but I also wonder about like the other publishers. And that's kind of where it maybe it loops back to Xbox and the what what Microsoft can maybe help do is is be representative of the entire like gaming industry, not just for like where I think Sony is going is like they can highlight their system and the games that are on there like where you can play um, first party and even uh, second party or third party games on, on PlayStation. But I think that there's still going to be publishers and other game makers and people who are very much interested and uh, have vested interest in the gaming industry. They're going to be left out in the cold, man. And I think that yeah. um, Microsoft can become and Xbox can become a bit of a home for that. And whether it's just them being on the stage or something even more holistic than that, I think that's a space that, that they can really do to... Um, just kind of if Sony wants to go pl- take their ball and go in the corner and go home or whatever, then they can go do that. But I think Microsoft has an opportunity here to be bigger than themselves. They, they can't just go to E3 and put on a great show for themselves because then that kind of proves Sony's point here that if the only reason you're going to E3 is to put on a big show, like they know how to do that. But it has to be a little bit more inclusive, which oddly enough, it just completely aligns with what they've been up to these days, which is like gaming is for everyone. So how do they turn E3 into like gaming for everyone kind of celebration, which in my mind, that's what it's always been about. And honestly, you saw a lot of that last year, actually, because um, because at e- when you were at the, the Microsoft booth last year, a lot of the stuff that I saw you... Uh, tweeting about uh, impressions of were smaller titles totally being played on like at the Microsoft booth essentially so it was so cool to actually see uh, you get a lot of exposure to a lot of those smaller games that you probably wouldn't have known about if E3 didn't exist or, di- or if you were not even at the show um, and yeah absolutely like I, I said before I think that um, it, it I think E3 should exist because of smaller smaller developers really need it. Well, I'm not, I'm 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 exploring the entire scale like from basically just anybody who isn't Xbox. Like like Activision yeah. doesn't have a stage. The like um Square Enix has kind of just been like back and forth and god they're that's just a weird press conference. They do a conference. press conference whenever they feel like it. Right? Like there's just been so like all those others Ubisoft. Like how does Ubisoft then like if 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 uh, E3 goes away, how does Ubisoft get it like do their thing? Like by Sony removing themselves from the equation, does it basically force everyone, platformer or publisher or platform or publisher or whatever, do they all have to then do Nintendo Directs? Like, I don't like that. I don't think that's great. Um, and I think that... I actually think that they would probably do more what you, what WB does, uh, which is they do most of their stuff. They'll just drop a trailer and a blog on their website one day right. with the announcement, which is so much less exciting than having it be part of like a, a like at something like E3 or consumer show where you can play it right away. Well, yeah, or it forces them to do kind of like a BlizzCon kind of thing. And like, that, of course, Blizzard, yeah. like just being just this giant mecca where maybe this now gets, I'm, I'm kind of like taking a bit of a walk along too from big publisher, Ubisoft, um, Blizzard, Activision, those, those types of publishers who could do their own thing. Um, if E3 were to go away, now all of a sudden the the smaller anything less than those giant publishers are completely left out in the cold. So that that because yeah. someone like Ubisoft, I can speak to a, at least a little bit um, since I since in Toronto we get a lot of events here in Toronto that aren't necessarily press events. That we get stuff like Fan Expo or Comic Con, Toronto Comic Con or EGLX, and Ubisoft always brings all their games to that st- those events, mm-hmm. and that's how. Um, we get exposure, at least in this area, to to that. And likewise, a lot of developers also bring their games to PAX 
or Comic-Con. Um, and that's an, another route that they take to to get exposure. And you'd probably you definitely see more of that type of focus if E3 were to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's also one of the reasons why I hope E3 doesn't, because, again, it's the one place where you get to see all the stuff from the third party publishers mm-hmm. under one roof. Maybe maybe it's just a rebrand. Maybe it just needs something else. Maybe we can't call it E3 anymore. But it should be something else that they all come together. I don't know what it is, man. I don't like it because I want to. I want to ask questions. I want to ask questions like if Microsoft remains attached to E3 and Sony does their own thing and they they kind of they get a win out of that. Does that does that reflect poorly on on Xbox to be like I said clinging to this relic? Like I don't know. I I don't even want to. I don't even want to think of E3 as a relic because I think it's great. I think it's awesome. And it's exciting, and I think it's a it's a celebration for us all to talk about games together. It's expensive, and there's I totally get why you would want to step away from it. But man, I'm very I'm very torn on this entire on this entire topic and issue. I mean, just to throw it out there, I really don't think that they would value going to E3 being a building a relic as a mistake unless no one was watching or attending the event, right? Which I don't see happening. Like that, that's why I mentioned at the beginning, I think the only reason really to move away from E3 from probably from Microsoft's perspective is like a dip in attendance or like, let's say like a quarter of the people that went to E3 last year went this year. I mean, that could happen. Obviously that and that could happen. We don't know. Like if that were to happen, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense maybe for them to move away from it. Um, but otherwise, I don't really see it as a mistake. It's I think it's going to be good publicity because, yeah, a lot of outlets are going to be there. A lot of people are going to be there playing the game. So and, and plus, Microsoft owns the space that they're in because they're in the, no, the the Microsoft theater. Yeah. So the in a way, it is almost a win win situation. And it's more of a, an expense maybe for other people attending E3 because booth space is very expensive at E3. Um, and I think that. Um, is the the question that every sort of every uh, publisher is probably going to be asking? So what you're saying is they've already been contributing to the problem, basically by moving out of the actual LA Convention Center into the Microsoft Theater, leaving Sony to go like, well, we don't have a Sony Theater, so we're just going to leave entirely. Like maybe they ah, but the perspective is they're they're right there though. Of course, of course, but yeah, like you know, realistically speaking, it's like. They, they kind of did this already. <laughs> so who yeah, knows, man? It's, in a way. It's very like when you really get into the granularity of it all, it's very it's, it's actually more much more complicated than maybe what the headlines would lead anybody to believe. But I still look forward to E3. I want June always to be a celebration of what to look forward to, whether it's for everybody kind of calls back to how originally it was for the retailers and now it's like not really for anything. It's like, is that the case? Like, doesn't it doesn't it really like help to set the year or the the final six months or the holiday season and get us get us all hyped up? Um, I think it I think it still does do that. Um, but I mean, as the grandmaster of hype myself, Sean, I fully am all over E three. I, I love the hype that comes from E three. I book it off work every year, and I, I'm hyped for this year's E three. But Sean. We got to go. Yeah, that's so, enough. <laughs> uh, for, <laughs> my God. So uh, where can people find you, Sean? Uh, it, it, hopefully I don't freeze to death here in the tundra of Canada. But on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Sean Capri, Sean Lake Connery, Capri Like the Pants. You can find me streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Sean Capri. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show at patreon.com slash Capri. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Turford. That's T-U-R-F-O-R-D. You can also find me streaming on Twitch as well at twitch.tv slash Ryan Turford. It's actually happening for real this time, you guys. Nice. Tonight, 6 to 9, it's finally happening. My first stream. I don't know what we're going to play, but we're going to play something. 
And you can, of course, you can find us on Twitter at the Xbox Drive. So for Sean Capri, I'm Ryan Turford. This has been episode 123 of the Xbox Drive. And we out. Bye. Oh, it's cold. <laughs>